Good morning. Thank you again for joining us for TCC at Home. Uh, I pray that you are able to join us in one of our host homes. If you haven't already, we're gathering in host homes all throughout our community, uh, seeking to prioritize being together with others uh, so that we can worship, uh, and yet bringing this live stream to all those who uh, aren't able uh, to gather, as well as those who maybe are, are just looking for a church home or looking for some encouragement in the midst uh, of these crazy times. Uh, today, we kick off a new series uh, entitled Relationships, Biblical Foundations for Navigating Life with Others. Uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and, and this sermon series is really uh, springboarding out of Ephesians. As we come to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, the latter half, we begin to see uh, Paul uh, address various relationships, the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship. He is going to talk about slaves and masters and uh, and even understanding work, the employee-employer relationship as we apply that into our context today. And, and, and as I was thinking about uh, these relationships that Paul was addressing, I wanted to, to step back and take a broader look at relationships because relationships are vital to our life. Um, and, and in this time uh, of social distancing, uh, we're reminded of how important people are to us. Uh, we obviously are getting the chance perhaps to spend time with the people closest to us in our own home, or perhaps you're struggling because you feel isolated from people that you care about and you love. Uh, but but regardless really of uh, self-social uh, distancing, uh, the reality is we're, we're made for relationships. God made us for a relationship with him, and he's made us to enjoy relationships with others. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited for us to, to journey uh, through this series, looking at relationships, because as we look at relationships, I think we're going to cover uh, a whole host of areas in our life. And, uh, and, and to pair it together with what we are talking about uh, as we've been journeying through Ephesians, looking at what it means to be the church, uh, God has made us as his people, as the church, to be in meaningful relationship with one another uh, and to live as his witnesses in the world. All of that requires us to understand and to pursue healthy relationships according to God's design in our lives. And so uh, as, we, as we begin to think about uh, relationships, I want to ask you to think about two things. Uh, that may or may not uh, appear to be related to relationships at first glance. I want you to think about the deepest joys in your life, and I want you to think about the deepest pains or sorrows in your life. Now, and it isn't always true, but often our greatest joys and our greatest pains or, or sorrows are connected to relationships, either healthy, life-giving relationships or, or broken and messy relationships. In fact, sometimes it can be with the same person or within the same relationship that you have your greatest joys and some of your greatest pains. And, and, and when we talk about relationships, as, I, as I, I mentioned a moment ago, we're not just talking about it in the sense of romantic relationships, of marriage and dating, though we'll cover some of those topics, but, but really the whole scope of relationships in our life. Uh, and, and as we think about our relationships and we think about God's design for our relationships, that there is a biblical foundation, a biblical design that God has for every relationship in our life. And, and God wants us to help us help navigate these relationships. But, but here's, a, here's a foundational truth that, that we'll return to again and again as we journey uh, through uh, this series. And it's this, to have healthy relationships in your life requires that you cultivate, that you have a healthy relationship with God. 
maybe another way to say it is to have healthy relationships in your life with others requires that you have a personal relationship with God. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that um, I remember reading a number of years ago. And in fact, this week I was reading in a book by Paul Tripp, who I'll uh, refer to a, a few times throughout this series. He's written a book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, a book worth checking out and, and looking at. He quotes this, this quote from C.S. Lewis. I can't remember the first place that I read it, but it's been a uh, really a formative idea for me as I've thought about all the various relationships I have in my life. And and I think especially uh, for me as I've thought about it within marriage, but also as I've thought uh, just about other friendships in my life. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He, he was talking about uh, particularly a relationship with a significant other, but it applies uh, in, in every relationship. He says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. So when I love, when I learn to love God above the one that I love the most on this earth, then, then I will truly love uh, the one on this earth better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God or instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I don't love my earthly dearest at all. And then here's the quote that stuck out to me. When we put first things first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. When we put first things first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. So when we learn to to have a personal, healthy relationship with God, it actually increases our enjoyment of other relationships in our life. Friendship, marriage, relationship between a parent and a child or a child and a parent. Uh, our relationship within our workplace, our, our relationship um, with, with our neighbors. When we learn to love God, having a personal relationship with him, a healthy relationship with him, it flows out into the increase of our enjoyment of other relationships in our life. So with that idea in mind, to have healthy relationships with others requires that we have a personal relationship with God. I, I want to I kind of unpack uh, uh, just a, a biblical framework for relationships. And in doing, we're, we're going to get to the heart of the gospel uh, because it's there uh, in what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection that we have hope for healthy relationships in every area of our life. And so four, four points I want to, to walk through to help us have a, a biblical framework for our relationships. And the first is this, is that God has designed us for relationships. We're, we're going to be walking through a number of different passages and referencing a number of different passages before eventually uh, at the end landing in Ephesians chapter 5 verse verses 18 through 21. But uh, here at the beginning, I want us to start at the beginning in Genesis chapter one, because to say that God has made us for relationships is to say that God is a relational God. In Genesis one, verse uh, 26 and 27, we see uh, God recording uh, and revealing uh, his, his creation process. It says that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on it. And then there's a summary. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, he created them. 
See, we, we get this glimpse of, of God who, uh, who we, we know through the scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says God is one, and yet God isn't one in, 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 a, in a monolithic way. He's not one in isolation. He's, he's one in, in a complexity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this revealed throughout the Bible. Uh, and my, two of my favorite spots are in Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism. We see the Father speaking, uh, the Spirit descending as Christ comes out of the water at his baptism and the father saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then Jesus at the end of the gospel of Matthew, as he's raised from the dead before he ascends to heaven, he gives this commission to his disciples to make disciples, to to help others know and follow Jesus just like they do. And then he tells them, baptize those who profess faith in Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we see God as a relational God who's triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed progressively from the Old to the New Testament. It's in God's nature. That, that he is personal within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and this really comes to play when we think about who God is in his very nature, as triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We actually uh, get a glimpse in Jesus's prayer in John 17 uh, as to what God intends um, to, to come out of his relational nature. If you, if you look in John 17, um, Jesus is uh, praying what's called the high priestly prayer. Uh, it gives us a, a glimpse into the heart of Jesus uh, for, for his disciples as well as for the world. Jesus says in John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the witness of my disciples, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is talking about his relationship with the Father. This is an inner trinity relationship, Father and Son. And we're getting a glimpse of just what God experienced, what the Godhead experiences, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what they experience. God intends for us, those who profess faith in him, to enjoy with God. God is relational, and by extension, he's made us to enjoy relationship with him. And so Jesus goes on and he says that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Notice the language again, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you have loved me. And you notice that that it talks about uh, that the world may know even as it was in the beginning. Jesus is is saying what 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 happened in, in the beginning as we created man and woman in our image, revealing that God is a relational God. We also see that God has made us for relationship with Himself. It's foundational uh, to who God is that He is relational. That He's made us to enjoy relationship with him. And the purpose of God's design of making us to know and enjoy him, he says, in, at least in, in John 17 here in verses 20 through 24, that he's made us so that we might bear witness and reflect him in the world. And he's made us so that we might become who God has made us to be. 
he, he, he's called us into relationship with him. And, and ultimately, we're going to see relationship with others because he wants us through our relationships to bear witness to the world that we belong to him, as well as he wants to accomplish in us, making us into who he has ultimately made and, and redeemed us to be. So God's made us for relationship. Because he is a relational God. We are made to know him, but not only to know him, but we're made to know others. We're made to be in relationship with others. In Genesis uh, chapter 2, we see uh, the relationship between Adam uh, and Eve, God's creation of, uh, of Eve in particular there in Genesis 2. But in Genesis 2 verse 18, again, I know I'm uh, giving, giving you a little bit of a, a back and forth here in the Bible. Uh, but in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, we see that God had given uh, Adam the task of naming the animals. And after he has done so, there's, there's this sense that Adam is alone. Um, and it says in verse 18 that the Lord God says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so here, even in the beginning, we see God's intent for uh, humanity to be in relationship with one another. As he says to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. The, the language helper, as it describes Eve, is actually the same language that describes the, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. In John uh, chapter 14 and verse 26, it talks about that Jesus will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. So it's a language, it's a word that's not used to describe uh, just <clears throat> a companion in the sense of uh, a helper who helps you accomplish something, but in the sense of a companion, one to be in relationship with Adam, and that is God has designed him to be a relational being. This is foundational for us to understand marriage, that God has made us for relationship and the relationship between man and woman, but it's really foundational for all of our relationships. God's made us to know him, to be in relationship with him, and to be in relationship with others. And we've seen this in Ephesians. In fact, over these last few weeks, as we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4 uh, through chapter 5, Paul says, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called in Ephesians 4, 17. And then what we've seen over the last two weeks is what he goes on to do is describe what relationships between believers look like in the local church. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he says, be in relationship with one another. Because it's the design that God has for us as, as human beings. He's made us to know him, to know others, to be in relationship with him and with others. And, you know, it's, it's funny as I think about being in relationship um, with others. Some of us are made for like a lot of relationships. I, I laugh about uh, my daughter. My daughter is perhaps the most highly relational person that I know. Uh, we moved into our house, uh, new new house in January, uh, which has been a blessing uh, in the midst uh, of uh, being in a pandemic and having some space for our growing family. Uh, but but within, I mean, a matter of just days being in our home, our daughter wanted to go around and knock on the doors uh, in our neighborhood to meet people, uh, see if there were any kids that she could play with. And I'm a pretty outgoing person. I was like, we can't, we can't just go knock on everybody's door. You know, she saw a bike in the yard. She thought there's a person, little person there. I'm going to be their friend. Uh, some of you are like, uh, I would stay by myself pretty much all day if I could. Uh, we, we have different thresholds for capacity, but nobody's made to live on an island unto themselves. All of us are made for relationships as part of how God has designed us. God in his nature is relational, and we, by, by design, are relational beings. Now, 
Some of us enjoy being by ourselves um, because of this reality. Not only are we made for relationship, the sad truth is all of our relationships are marked by brokenness. Some of us prefer to be alone because we've been hurt. Some of us prefer to distance ourselves from others because we've experienced a lot of brokenness in our relationships. And, and when I say that all of our relationships are marked by brokenness, I, just as we said in the beginning, you cannot understand your horizontal relationships without understanding your vertical relationship to God. That is foundational. That is primary. God made us for relationship with himself and for relationship with others. But the problem is both of those types of relationships, vertical and horizontal, are broken and broken because of sin. And really, the story of sin is the story of broken relationships, all the way back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> when, you, when you look at Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, uh, and, and you see God's interaction with them after they disobeyed God, um, what you see is broken relationship. What happened? Eve made me do it. <laughs> you, you see the brokenness already of relationships, and because of sin, the shame that, that creeps up in the relationship. But the, the story of sin playing out in the story of broken relationships begins with, did God actually say in Genesis 3? There in Genesis 3, as the woman interacts with the serpent, interacts with Satan, he said to the woman, did God actually say, don't eat from this tree? And there it is. Uh, the root of broken relationships is Humanity turning against God. The did God really say question is the, the temptation for humanity to elevate itself over its creator. We get to determine what's good. We get to determine what's right. This is at its core what idolatry is all about. Humanity elevating the creation over the creator. It's what C.S. Lewis said when he said that if we love our our, our earthly beloved at the expense of, of God, we actually move towards not loving our earthly dearest at all. To, to elevate anything above God actually uh, ends up suppressing and hurting all the other things that we're pursuing. To elevate God to his rightful place, to put him in first place, then enables us to enjoy the in, an increase in our enjoyment of all the other relationships. I'm sure if we had time to tell stories, all of us have stories of broken relationships. Maybe a broken relationship with a parent. That closest of relationships that maybe is marked by betrayal and distrust and wounds. Some of us know the pain of divorce. Perhaps in our childhood or later in life or in our own lives. Some of us know the, the, the hurt and the difficulty of friendships, betrayal and mistrust and falling out. We, we, know, we know as parents, it's hard, even sometimes with those that, these little human beings we love most, uh, all of a sudden we're sinning against them. You know, only, of course, after they sin against us, you know. Like, we, we know broken relationships. And, and, and there's, there's two ways I think we can think about broken relationships. The first is that we can make relationships ultimate <clears throat> or even a relationship ultimate. This is what, what Adam and Eve were tempted with. Did God actually say that, that 
temptation to, to put things above God. We can do this. I think sometimes we think about this, this idea of putting a relationship or the idea of a relationship even above God, that we're pursuing that uh, as having the primary uh, grip on our hearts. We can do this with a dating relationship, the idea of, of a romantic relationship with someone else. Uh, maybe it's tantalizingly close and we, you know, we're, we're pursuing that as what defines us. You can do this. Uh, you can do this within marriage. Uh, though typically, within marriage, you find out pretty quickly that the other person isn't worth idolizing. Um, <clears throat> but it's possible to look at marriage and, and elevate marriage either beforehand or even in, in it as like this is the thing that defines me. Parents who desire to have a good reputation can, uh, or, or perhaps even live vicariously through their children, can can elevate their kids at the center of their marriage in such an unhealthy way that not only does God not have a place, but even the healthy relationship between husband and wife sometimes is, uh, is, is, is put in a, in a bad position because children are at the center of a marriage. These, these things are good, a desire for a relationship, a marriage, children are good, but when they're elevated, made ultimate, we're putting second things above first things. It could even happen within our, within our friendships, where we become codependent on someone that sometimes we sometimes we want um, we just want a one easy relationship and whenever we find it we give ourselves fully to that and it, every other relationship is an annoyance or a pain and we're just all about one relationship and sometimes this can also happen within marriage we're just we're looking at that other relationship to fulfill us and to satisfy us and to give us our comfort and we're continually frustrated because we're let down and yet we're holding that person to that uh, standard or expectation and 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 when we think about the temptation to make relationships ultimate what God would say to us is don't look to find in your relationship with others what you can only find in God. It's only in God that we find ultimate belonging, ultimate purpose, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate comfort, ultimate security, ultimate hope. Now listen, these things can be experienced and tasted in part in our relationships God can give you great purpose within a friendship or within a marriage or as a parent. God can give you great comfort and security as a child in relation to your parents or, or give you a, a great sense of satisfaction in, in your work. But they're not ultimate. God's the, the source. All the other things are streams that lead you back to him, that point you to him as the ultimate giver of these good gifts. You can find these things in relationships, but we must never, <clears throat> they must never be ultimate. And the relationships must never be elevated above God, separated from God as the source. So we can make relationships ultimate, but, but honestly, I think sometimes the way this works itself out most is that we make self ultimate in our relationships. And this happens just in a moment sometimes that leads to an argument uh, or a conflict. Sometimes it's a pattern of our lives. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. Self. We elevate self to the center of our relationships. It's rooted in pride. And, and it's seeking our own desires at the expense of others. We get angry and we lash out when our kids frustrate our plans. We avoid dealing with conflict out of fear, sometimes indifference. 
We gossip behind a friend's back. We, we lie to even to someone we're close with because we're afraid uh, or we desire to save face and look better than we are. We envy other people's stuff or the friendships that we have and then distance ourselves from them and become cold towards them. We, we even try to control relationships in various ways, manipulating things to get our own way. Become bitter towards a friend or a spouse or a family member rather than forgiving. All of that is rooted in self-centeredness. In fact, James, in the book of James, in James chapter 4, as he thinks about conflict and relationships, tells us the truth about what's going on in our hearts when we have conflict in our relationships. He says it this way in in chapter 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You've put self at the center, and because self is at the center, it leads to all kinds of pain and brokenness in your relationships. Now, I'm going to press you to think about areas of brokenness in your relationships. Because my desire is as we walk through not only the rest of this message, but the rest of this series is that God would would do a work in those relationships. Helping lay this biblical foundation so that you can enjoy the relationships that God has given you in the way that God has designed them to be enjoyed. But to do that, you got to be honest about your brokenness. You got to be honest where things aren't right. You got to face up to sin when sin is present. And if we can't have healthy relationships with others without first having a personal relationship with God, I have to ask you to go beyond just your relationship with others and to think about your relationship with God. How often do we elevate things above Him? How often do we seek self fulfillment rather than self denial? We we seek our own way, dismissing what God has said, thinking that we can choose what's best, we can choose what's right. God doesn't know best. God's holding out on us. And listen, this this can happen to you, believer. You can have this thought, and it 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 can do great damage in your relationship with others, but it's rooted in your relationship with God. But perhaps, maybe, maybe you're wrestling with, what does it mean to know God? Can I have a relationship with God? Maybe you're curious about Christianity. As, as we look at relationships and God's, this biblical framework for relationships, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing, I think God presents us something that's honest with our experience and, and, and meets us where we're at, that, that we know that our relationships aren't always what they're supposed to be. And what comfort it is to know that there's a good design that God has for our relationships. So how do we get back to that? And that's the hope that the gospel holds out to us is we were made for relationships. And though all our relationships are marked by brokenness and sin, Jesus restores us to right relationship with God and healthy relationships with others. See, our fundamental need is to be in right relationship with God. God brings us into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. We see this most clearly in in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We've been, as I said, journeying through Ephesians uh, over these last few months. And and there in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we, we get this beautiful picture 
of how Jesus restores us into relationship with God. You see, sin leads to brokenness. It leads to ultimately death, which is about separation, separation from God, separation from others. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says that we were dead in our sin. Listen, apart from having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are dead, living and breathing, but dead, separated from God. But verse 4 tells us the good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God, Jesus is the answer to our broken relationships. That sense of separation and alienation from God, as well as the brokenness that we experience in our relationship with others. You know, I, I want to, to really dig into our relationships. I, I want to help strengthen our marriages. I, I want us to help think about singleness as a gift, as good, a good gift from God. I want us to think about parenting as, as honestly, not just for our parents with little kids, but also just even uh, helping uh, our adults understand healthy relationships with their parents, with your parents today. I want to press in uh, to, to navigating life with roommates and coworkers and all these different areas. And, uh, and, and as we do that, I don't want to just give you tips. If I just give you tips and advice for better relationships, I'm no de- different than the, than the self-help book section on Amazon or in your local bookstore. No, we don't go in stores anymore, but on Amazon or wherever you find your books, there's a ton of self-help Books that are out there that tell you how to have a better kid in five days, how to do this and, you know, and and have a better marriage or or how to do this and be a better friend. If you do this, you'll have more fulfillment at work. And, And there may be some helpful things in there. I know there's a lot of unhelpful things. But if I'm just giving you advice, I'm no different than a self help book. The the one thing that you need more than anything else is the hope that's found in Jesus. It's what he holds out to us, that while we were dead in our sins, God can make us alive and and bring us into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. Our broken, messy relationships will not be fixed by more advice. They'll only be fixed by the cross. They'll only be fixed by us receiving Jesus in our place for our sin. Jesus rising from the dead, reigning over all and returning again for us. The hope that Jesus holds out for us, that though we feel alienated and separated from God and though we have brokenness in our relationships and and various ways, what we need more than anything else is to come to him. Broken, dead, wounded, hurt, and experience his grace. Don't look to others to fix your relationships. Don't even look to yourself first and foremost. We have to look up. We have to look to Jesus. We have to look to him as the one who is a friend of sinners. I love as Jesus says this in John 13, that Jesus is a friend of sinners who lays down his life for his friends. There's the pathway to healthy relationships. Sure, there's a a pattern of sacrifice that's needed for healthy relationships that we can look at. But before you have the pattern 
of, of sacrifice for healthy relationships. You have to put your trust in the true sacrifice of Jesus in your place as your Savior. And, and it's that hope, believer, that can compel us to press in and press on in healthy relationships. But, but I have to, 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 to say here that if you're not sure where you stand in relationship with God or you're curious about what it really means to know Christ, this is it, that God loves you, that Jesus laid down his life in your place for your sin so that you might know him, so that you might be brought into relationship with him. And being brought into relationship with him, you might enjoy all that God designed you to enjoy in relationship with others. But it begins by by seeing your brokenness because of sin, because of our rebellion against God, because of putting ourselves at the center of our lives and elevating other things above God in our lives. And when we humbly just are willing to lay down before God and say, God, I am the sinner and I need you. Thank you for laying down your life in my place for my sin. And because you rose, God, I know that you you are good on your word. I give you my life. Work in me to accomplish all that you want in my relationships with others. It begins by, by us entering into a relationship with God. And it's as simple as seeing our sin and trusting in Jesus, turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus. Listen, if that's you today, I, I, would, I would love for you to put that in your own words. That you would, you would acknowledge your sin before God and cry out to him, believing that he can save you, not by your own works, but by his grace as a gift when you call out on him. Do it. Do it today. And if you have questions, you want to talk to someone. Treasuring Christ is a church where it's okay to not have all the answers, where you can ask the, the hard questions and wrestle with doubts and, and, and bring these things to God. God's not afraid of our questions, and we want to be a place that can help you think through them together. Practically and even tangibly, if you're watching this uh, online, you can text your, your name to the number on the screen or even hang out and talk to, to somebody in the, in the host home that you're watching this service with. Let today be the day of salvation. We can't have healthy relationships with others without first having a personal relationship with God. And for, for, for every believer, it's, it's re- being reminded and returning to what Christ has accomplished for us that, that really compels us and propels us to pursue healthy relationships in our life. Because the, the, the fourth and final point is that while Jesus alone can restore us to right relationship with God and healthy relationship with others, because of Christ, we're invited and enabled to actually know God and enjoy relationships with others. I love James 4, 6. I, I read earlier James 4, 1 through 4, where we, we see that our sin and our, con- our conflict with others often is rooted in our, our self-centeredness, uh, our, our sin that's, that's working its way into our hearts. As James goes on there in James 4, verse 6, some, some of the women of our church have been studied the book of James this summer. You, you probably remember James 4, 6. So simple and yet so profound but he gives more grace. That's such a good word for our broken and messy relationships that being in Christ, having a relationship with him, we are in a position because we've been brought in the right relationship with him to actually pursue God's design for our relationships, 
by his grace. It's grace that enables us to put relationships in their proper place, not elevating them to where they shouldn't be. It's grace that helps us to set healthy expectations for relationships. We'll, we'll talk about this in, uh, in the coming weeks, but it's really not relationships that, that are all that dangerous. It's the expectations often that we bring to our relationships. And it's grace that helps us to put self-centeredness to death in our lives. God gives more grace. And it's that grace that's, that's found in Jesus that those who believe in him have access to God's grace. The live, we live in God's grace. That becomes the, the air that we breathe, the context in which we have relationships. Grace. So that means that there's really no relationship that's not able to be mended by God's grace. Now, I know that there are, there are some really hard situations, sometimes a, abuse and, and, and severe brokenness that trust isn't just rebuilt overnight. But I think by and large in the course of our life, there, there is no area where God's grace, even in the hardest areas, can't do a work of restoration and healing in our hearts and in our relationship with others. God enables us not only to know him, but to enjoy relationships with others as he has designed us to enjoy them. Paul Tripp said, said it this way, when we think about pursuing this, this, this is kind of uh, the part and parcel of living out the Christian life now, is living out uh, God's design for our relationships. What he created us for was broken by sin, it's been redeemed by Christ, and now it's being restored in our daily life. But here's the problem. Paul Tripp said the fatal flaw of human wisdom is that it promises that you can change your relationships without needing to change yourself. See, what we often need in our relationships is God's continued work in our own lives. And this brings us to Ephesians 5, uh, 18 through 21. We, we kind of briefly looked at this passage last week, but I want to um, return our, our attention and our thoughts to it, uh, starting in verse 18. And you heard it read uh, before, before the sermon began. But listen to it once more. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we think about how God has called us to uh, pursue and enjoy healthy relationships, God, by his grace, actually is giving us what we need to pursue these relationships. And, and there's a number of different things that we could say that God gives us to pursue healthy relationships. But I want to point out three and, and then really focus in on one that, that verse 18 makes explicitly clear. You could say this, that God has given us for the sake of pursuing and enjoy health, healthy relationships, he's given us his word. That's why we're, we're seeking to lay a biblical foundation. This isn't, this isn't Michael's best advice for your relationships. That book would be worth about this much. This is God's word for our lives. God's word for our relationships. And, and thank goodness that God has a word for us, truth and wisdom to apply to our relationships. But then God has also given us his spirit that is at work in us, that every believer who puts their trust in Jesus is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
And God's spirit is at work in us, enabling us to follow after him. He's convicting us of sin. We need that for healthy relationships. He's compelling us to seek forgiveness, grant forgiveness. He's, he's at work within us, enabling us to love. God's given us a spirit so that we might enjoy healthy relationships. And then he's given us his people. And it's in the church. It's in the context of the church that we learn the relationships that God has designed us to, to enjoy. And as we do that within the church, we, we bend that out towards those apart from Christ and outside of the church and say, welcome into this community that, that's not perfect, that's broken by sin, but that's being restored because of the redemption that's found in Jesus. That's what a compelling community is like, a people uh, who, who, who aren't pretending to be perfect. Listen to me, TCC. We are not a perfect people. We, we are not putting on face and pretending. In fact, that's our problem, is that so often in the church, we're not willing to address our real problems, our sins, so that we're, never, we're not actually growing and enjoying what God has designed us to be. We are a broken and sinful people. But our sin doesn't have the final word anymore. God, by his grace, has made us new. He's redeemed us. And by his spirit, he's renewing us into the, the, the image of his son and to the design that he's made us for. You see, Ephesians 5.18 is, is bringing all these things together in many ways, the word, the spirit, the church, but putting this emphasis on being filled with the spirit. Now, to this simple statement, is packed with such meaning, being filled with the Spirit. We said last week that being filled with the Spirit is about not about us getting more of God, but about God getting more of us as we lay down our lives and yield our lives to Him, giving Him control. Listen, listen just the, um, the, uh, the simplicity of what this is saying, but yet the implications of it. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. This isn't an option or a suggestion for the Christian. It's plural. It's for the whole church. You all be filled with the Spirit. It's a work that God is doing, yes, personally and individually, but yes, corporately within the church. It's also passive, which means that it's actually God doing it to us. It's not us uh, trying to get God to do something to us, but it's actually God doing it to us. Let the Holy Spirit fill you, have control in your life, yield to him, lay down your desires to him, submit to him. And then it's present tense, which means it's an ongoing thing. It's not just something that happened once, but it's something that's continual. Every day we lay down our life and the spirit is at work within us in every relationship that the spirit would be at work within us. And when the spirit is at work within us, Basically, our life looks like a musical. I remember the first time I watched Les Mis afterwards, uh, for like a solid 30 minutes, all I would do is uh, respond and, and sing talk uh, back. You know, this is kind of what this is saying here in verse 19. When you're filled with the Spirit, you worship. There's, there's actually this implication within the church that the evidence of the Spirit at work within us is within our worship. So sing a little bit louder as we sing our final song because the Spirit is at work within us to, uh, that we would address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but not only one another, just in our own hearts, singing and making melody in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to worship. And, and, and when the Spirit's at work within us and you're worshiping God rightly, you can't be putting other things before God. 
to worship God rightly is to put first things first so that the increase of second things can be experienced. We worship and then we're also, we, we give thanks for, uh, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. There's gratitude in all things that marks our lives when we're filled by the Spirit. And then finally, we, we see that we experience community that we experience community marked by mutual submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The spirits that work within us to elevate God in our hearts in worship, that we would sing together the praise that God is due, that we would give thanks in, the, in all of our life, always and in everything, how encompassing that is, that, that that grounds us with the right perspective and understanding how God is at work in our lives, even sometimes in the hard days. And then that we have this community, this mutual submission. It's really, it's the pattern of healthy relationships that we care for one another. We put the interest of others before ourselves, that we're willing to listen, that we're willing to, to give deference and to, and to serve. God's given us a spirit to pursue the healthy relationships that, that, that he's designed us for and that he's redeemed us to enjoy. And when I think about just the work of the Spirit to, uh, in our lives, I can't help but, but be drawn back to the fruit of the Spirit. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What relationship doesn't need that fruit in it? We need the Spirit to enjoy the relationships that God has designed us for, that He has redeemed us for. I can't think of a Christian who doesn't need the Holy Spirit to enable them to pursue and enjoy the relationships that God has designed us for. And and I think just to as we kind of bring this together and we think about how this plays out in our lives, I think what we we need to, to be reminded of when we think about uh, this biblical framework and this final point of God uh, enabling us, calling us to pursue healthy relationships. We're going to hit moments when our relationships are hard. And sometimes it, it just feels that it's easier not to press in and to deal with the hard. And in fact, sometimes we think hard means bad. Here recently, Emily and I were, were having a, uh, an elevated conversation. We were having a conflict. We, we weren't raising our voices, but we were um, intensely discussing something and, and trying to work through our plans for something. I can't fully remember the, the details of the conversation, but um, and this time is in the midst of uh, our daughter doing school, online school at home. And so she's doing it downstairs and we're up in the kitchen having this conversation and She's on a break and it's come and gone and we're trying to get her down, back downstairs. And it's it's just a hard, hard, hard day and hard conversation. And um, she looks at us and she says, you know, you guys are teaching me bad habits uh, by having, you know, this this hard conversation. You know, I don't want you to teach me bad things. And of course, both of us feel like gut punch, you know, like our kid thinks we're terrible and we're setting this bad example and um it was actually Emily who was having this conversation with her later. And, and when she said this, when she relayed what she said to me and we were having this conversation with her later, um, you know, she said, hard, hard conversations aren't bad. 
In fact, God wants to use hard conversations to, to help us, to grow us, to restore us. We're having this hard conversation, working through this topic, knowing that we love one another and that when if we do sin against each other in our hearts or our words, we ask for forgiveness and then we, we grow together. And in fact, as I look back at our, our, our marriage and I look at even other relationships in my life, all the moments where it's been hard and it's been messy, but I've, I, I've been willing and sometimes God has drugged me along uh, unwillingly in the moment to stay in there and to pursue his desire and his design for my relationships. All of the brokenness as it's mended has led to stronger, healthier relationships. And, and I think sometimes, though, we, we feel like anything that's hard is bad and especially in our relationships, when the going gets tough, we, we want to get going, right? Well, God says, I made you for relationships. I know the hard uh, messiness of brokenness and sin in your relationships, but I've given you what you need, what you need to, to seek and enjoy the relationship that I've designed for you. It begins with the redemption that's found in Christ, grace. And God's power and presence through His Spirit to enable us to pursue what He's designed us for. So don't think healthy friendships are going to be easy. Don't think that hard friendships or relationships aren't worth it. But press into God. Remember this framework, this foundation that God's given us throughout His Word. And as we press into the specific relationships within our lives, that we would be reminded and encouraged that God has given us what we need to pursue healthy relationships through the grace that's found in Jesus and through His powerful presence of the Holy Spirit who's at work in our lives to make us who He wants us to be and to help us to pursue the relationships that He's called us into. I'm praying as we work through this series that God not only lays this biblical foundation, but that you're willing, as this foundation is laid, to work out his desire and his design in these relationships in your life. Pray with me.